you know when you're trying to do something new in your life, like you're like, okay, God, this week I'm going to do this thing. The enemy comes at that thing. Like when I pray for patience and perseverance, it's like I have zero patience and zero perseverance because I have three children. And it's like God, like, like he just allows them to test that thing in me right? It might be their humanity and their imperfection, but like, I just feel like at some points the way he teaches us is through testing us. Anyone else? So this week, you know, I have been feeling so encouraged. We've been in a very hard season the last few months, but the last few weeks I felt so encouraged and filled up and just really expecting of the future. And then what would you think this week would be like? I have to talk about joy. I want to, I want to talk about joy and I'm not experiencing joy. What is that? Right? And so today, though, I believe that one, we're going to learn about joy. One thing we're going to learn about joy is that it is something that we reside in, no matter our situation and circumstances. So this week, I've just got to practice that. And I've had to ask forgiveness a lot for my kids because the joy is not exuding from me. Um, and, you know, and I have like this head cold going on. So, you know, all these things add, right, to us learning how to reside in the gifts of the Holy Spirit that God's given us. And so we're going to talk about joy today. The title of my message is The Joy of Hope. We're in this series called Hope That Lasts, and we just uh, lit our joy candle that's just a reminder of the Advent season and the things that lead up to Jesus and what he gives us through coming um, and being born. And so we're talking about these three things. And so as we're in the midst of this, what we have to realize is that the beauty of hope is that in hope in Jesus, it then gives us all these other gifts. So today, that gift that we're focusing on is joy. And we're saying the, the title again is the joy of hope today. So hope leads us to a place of experiencing so many other attributes found in and through our Savior. And today, we're going to start by focusing on the very beginning of when Jesus was born out of Luke 2. Let's read it together, verse 8. In the same region... Shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified, as one would be if an angel just showed up in your room. Like, it doesn't matter how pretty they are, like, it's probably freaking you out, right? You're thinking, I'm delusional. (laughs) But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth, in cloth and lying in a manger. So the good news of our Savior, the hope of the world, was wrapped up in a manger. And that's the scene that starts this beautiful scene for our hope, right? This beautiful reality of our hope came in a baby born in a manger, And so many of us, we understand that and we're celebrating that. But this great news was that the joy of this child was going to be the fulfillment in our lives of joy. So the great news and the great joy of Jesus meant the fulfillment of joy in our lives. Just by Jesus showing up on the scenes, our lives would change forever. And our joy would be great and lasting. When I think of joy, as many of us do, I think of contentment, laughter, safety, gladness, resolve. I'm reminded in so many ways of what I see in our kids, right? Our kids have this ability to, because they are safe in so many ways, because they are protected, because their naivety is still intact, that we get to watch our kids experience great joy in so many ways. 
and because they have boundaries, right? Later, they'll understand that those boundaries allow them to experience great joy and freedom, just in the same way that God allows us within boundaries to experience great joy and freedom. That was just an extra for you. (laughs) So the other day, we're driving in the car and literally stop at the stoplight on 106th, right by the Starbucks, right before you get to the 15th down in Sandy. And uh, I look over, and this guy is literally sucking on a binky. No joke. No joke. The one that has the ring in it, so it just like, it's like a lollipop. You know, like, he's sucking. I'm like staring at him because what else? Do you, of course you're going to stare. And if it was you, I'm, I mean, I'm sorry. You're involved in my story. But <laughs> I look over, and I was like, that guy is literally sucking on a binky. I tell this to my kids in the back. They're sitting in the back. And we all are just staring. <laughs> and I'm like, we really should stop staring. This isn't right, right? And so I'm just la- we're just laughing and just staring and trying to understand why would he be sucking. He's in a- I mean, this guy's probably 45. I'm like, it's not a child, clearly, because he's driving, right? But he is not. I mean, I, I literally, at this moment, I'm thinking, this is my thoughts. If you took Psychology 101, then you learned about Freud and his um, stages that you get stuck in. And I'm thinking, he is stuck in the two- to three-year-old stage of oral fixation. <laughs> He's holding, he's got a binky in his mouth. And I just died. I'm like, you know, just watching, staring. I'm just, I want to ask. Like, I really, do you ever like see people and you're like, I really want to ask their story? This is one of those cases. Why? Why the binky? Right? And so I'm looking, you know, and then we drive on. And then a few minutes later, Shiloh just starts belly laughing. And I'm like, what's going on? And she just thought it was hilarious that I said, that guy literally has a binky in, her, in his mouth. And she just was dying laughing. And I realized in that moment, I'm like, it's just things like that, that. That's what we think of about joy. We think of that, like, moment where you just sort of die laughing. And you just sort of experience the utmost, like, everything else has left. And you just experience fulfillment. You experience laughter, even sometimes at the cost of others. But, you know, we, in that moment, she just exuded this, like, joy. And, yes, it was in regards to this person, but, <laughs> but so many times we see that, right, in our children. And my son, he'll often go, you guys don't laugh very much. And I'm like, oh, that's because you're not very funny, you know? <laughs> Sorry. I'll have to pay him for that one. But, <laughs> but that's the reality is so often as adults we do, we struggle with that, experiencing joy in that sense. But joy isn't just about a place of laughter, right? But it is often found in the simple and naive and childlike, hope-filled places of being in life, right? Psalm 1611 reminds us that joy often comes because we are in the presence of and we know our Father. It says this in verse 11, you reveal the path of life to me, In your presence is abundant joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. And see, like, this is what our children experience. They don't even know it yet. We're going into Christmas season, and Justice is like, why is there only one gift under the tree? And I'm like, I'm going to leave it that way because, you know, ask that question, you know. And (laughs) and, uh, they don't really even realize the eternal, the pleasures that they receive as children. And, And yet we, at the same place, don't realize the abundant joy that we have in our Savior and the eternal pleasures we have in God. 
And so often we're stuck in this place of trying to find joy, but joy is something that you should just know and have as soon as you find your Savior, Jesus. As soon as you find hope in him, it's a byproduct of that hope. So I want to talk through a few things really quickly about joy and what it is and what it is not. Because we have some confusion when it comes to joy in our generation. And so the first point is this. Joy is sustained, not stained. You know, today as I was preparing, I kind of wanted to go down this path of talking about pain. And I was actually going to focus my entire message about that, but I just did that a few months ago. And so... Obviously, it's something that God's trying to teach me, so sometimes that just comes out a lot, right, is the things God's teaching us is what we share with people. But So it still felt like it's a valuable point to this moment because in the New Testament, we hear the verse out of James, which many of us have heard before, James 1, 1 through 2, that says to consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Well, how do I experience joy and trials? How do they coexist? But God says that if you do this, that you know that the testing of your faith then produces endurance and let endurance have its full effect and then that will bring you to maturity and completion lacking nothing. So in experiencing great joy, even in the midst of pain, we can then move into mature completion. And how many of you know you can tell the difference between someone who's mature in their faith and someone who's immature in their faith? I mean, you can tell the difference between someone who doesn't believe in anything and their maturity versus their immaturity based on how they handle situations. If something becomes extremely dramatic, which I don't believe is an attribute of God, right? Truly, I think so often our generation moves to this drama that is not who God is in our lives. And it shows people that we don't have a secure foundation. Because in the midst of our trial, our joy should be sustained instead of stained however so many times our joy becomes tainted because of the experience that we're in the midst of yet the bible says to consider it joy in pain which means be more excited about being in pain than you are right now it means means that you should allow god to work in and through you in the midst of the circumstance and that nothing shakes your faith because you have joy in an eternal hope in jesus And so we can look at joy and we can say, okay, well, I can stand then in pain. I want to look at a couple of men who literally had every reason why not to continue in joy in their life. And that's Paul and Silas. And what we see is Paul and Silas right before Acts 16, 22, they um, they end up releasing, casting out a demon from a a girl who's a um, fortune teller. Well, she's a slave. So because she's a slave and the way that the owners make their money is off of her skills, they're a bit disappointed when they've just cast out the demon that gives her those skills, right? And so the owners and the crowd come against Paul and Silas, and Paul and Silas end up in jail. So let's, let's start at verse 22. The crowd joined in the attack against them, and the chief magistrate stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. Now, remember, they need to stay joyful, in the midst of this. And also, let's compare it to our current situations. Are you being beaten with rods? Okay? I'm not trying to diminish your pain, but let's just, like, reality check for a second. Verse 23, after they had severely flogged them, 
They threw them in jail, ordering the jailer to guard them carefully. Receiving such an order, he put them into the inner prison and secured their feet in the stocks. They weren't just in the ordinary prison. They didn't trust these guys. They didn't want them to get out. They're like, keep them as deep as they can go. Keep careful, careful watch over them. What did Paul and Silas do? About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Now, I can tell you for sure that Paul and Silas were not praying and singing hymns to God in order to get out of jail. They were doing it because their joy and their hope was residing in him. And ultimately, if they died because they served their Savior and helped one person, they were okay with that. So we don't praise and we don't have joy because we want out of our situation. We praise and we can sing and we can bring glory to God because we know that in the midst of our situation, he is going to do great things. And it may look so different than what you expect. That person that you're praying so hard for, they may not get healing. But God does everything for the good of those who love him, which means every part of our story can be used to bring glory and honor to God. That means our pain should be used to bring glory and honor to God. That means our beautiful aspects of our story should be used to bring glory and honor to God. And this is Paul and Silas. They're singing and praising God. They don't know how long they're going to be in there. They just know that they're in jail. And ultimately, they just want to serve God. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were open and everyone's chains came loose. When the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison standing open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. So he knew he had failed. And his job was to make sure he didn't fail and they didn't get out. But Paul called out in a loud voice, still sitting in the midst of this prison, in this inner cell of this prison. Do not harm yourself because we're all here. No one left. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorted them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Paul and Silas's being in prison found salvation for a man. They said to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him along with everyone in the house. He took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Right away, he and all his family were baptized. He brought them into his house, set a meal before them, and rejoiced because he had come to believe in God with his entire household. The first thing we see with Paul and Silas is that they're in the midst of terrible pain, right? They're beaten, flogged, and in shackles. Most of us wouldn't get past the beating. Most of us wouldn't get past the criticism of the crowd, frankly. As soon as we experience criticism or difficulty in our workplaces or with people around us or our family, like we, we, our joy is diminished. Our joy is stained. The second thing we see in Paul and Silas is that in the midst of their pain, they praised God. The third was that because of the joy in the midst of their pain, you see not only their freedom, but someone else's. And in the midst of their story, lives were saved and people were changed. And so, God, you see this story where, some, where really just bad things were happening. And it didn't look very positive. And, and the likelihood of them getting out was slim to none, minus God just like bringing in an earthquake, right? They were there. And yet they're still praising God in the midst of their situation. See, the design of joy wasn't to be diminished in the midst of pain, but rather to be stood on and leaned against and represented and sustained in the midst of pain. Yeah. 
And for many of us, we need to lean into God in such a way that we can tap into the joy that he's provided for us and say, okay, God, I don't know what you're going to do in this situation. I don't know how you're going to bring glory and honor to your name, but ultimately it is about your name. It's not about mine. And so whatever you choose to do, God, I'm going to stand in a place of joy. The second point is this. Joy is a filling, filling, not a feeling. I don't know about you guys, but I, we live in this very feelings-based, very touchy-feely generation. It's not my style. I'm not very touchy-feely. Um, but <laughs> we live in this generation that's very feely, and it's all about emotions and how I feel. And honestly, like, if you try to please one person, someone else is going to be disappointed because, you know, you can't meet everyone's expectations. And for me, um, I don't know about you, but I love Christmas I'm actually kind of sad that it's already Christmas because I can't, like, I feel like it's rushing by and I'm going to miss it. And part of that reason is because I have such high expectations of Christmas. I have high expectations of receiving gifts and giving gifts. It's for those of you who like to give gifts. Um, (laughs) But I have very high expectations. And I don't know, I set up this huge expectation that leads to Christmas morning. And then right about noon, when all is said and done, it's like this huge deflation of, like, life. And all joy leaves, and the moment is over, and I have to wait 364 more days to do it again. It's so sad. (laughs) Because I build up such this high expectation of what every experience, it's not just Christmas, every experience I have very high expectations of how things should go. And when it doesn't go my way, Jason always is like, how come... After a vacation, you're not so pumped. And I'm like, because I, I had an expectation of something probably unrealistic and therefore built myself up to this moment that never happened. It couldn't have even happened. It was too far, too much, too high. And I think that's how we live life so often is that we, we build ourselves up to this moment of momentum. And then when it is like slightly lower than the bar, it's for naught. And our feelings are crushed and we're not happy and we can't experience joy. And there's this devastating and ultimately confusing reality going on around us that God wants us to be happy. I'm going to burst your bubble today. And that that happiness comes from the things that are given to us or surround us or happen to us. But the reality is there's only one who can fill my feelings. Jason cannot fill my feelings. My children do not fill my feelings. Only God can fill my feelings. In Acts 13, 52, it says, And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. God fills us with joy and the Holy Spirit. What does to fill mean? It means particularly to fill a vessel or a hollow place. Now, if you think of us before we come to knowing Jesus as our Savior, we are a hollow place. So many of us can look at people around us and realize that we have a lot of empty vessels walking around. We have a lot of hurting and broken people looking for joy, looking for fulfillment in all the wrong things, and the things that we say make us happy, but ultimately, even when we get that beautiful home and the husband or the wife and the kids, we still are not fulfilled. It also means to fill and supply abundantly with something, to impart richly or to imbue with, which means we should be literally radiating with the joy that 
God gives us through the Holy Spirit. We should just radiate it. But here's the thing. While we're all caught up in this grand idea of happiness, God calls us to a much different place, and he calls us to holiness, not happiness. Do you think Paul and Silas were sitting in chains happy? No, they were sad. They were probably terrified. They probably didn't, they didn't know what was coming, but they could sit in a place of joy. That's why joy is not the same as happiness. Joy is not laughter and funny and smiles on your faces. Joy is a presence. Joy is a reality of how we sit in the midst of any situation and circumstance. And God calls us not to happiness, which our generation has so decided to chase after, but to holiness. Which is why he encouraged us in James that we're going to go through trials but count it joy. Because joy makes us stronger and more mature and gives us perseverance and greater faith and deeper roots. And so our happiness can no longer be a thing we're chasing. Instead, we can just sit in the resolve that we know where our joy comes from. And that no matter what our situation is, he's going to fill us up. Galatians 5.22 through 23 reminds us of the fruit of the Spirit. See, this is the thing, is when holiness is operating in your life, these fruits will operate in your life. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Right before this verse, it goes through tell, telling us what joy, what, um, what fruits are not good. Right? It goes through a list of things that tell us that we're not going to be fulfilled, but the fruit of the Spirit is these things. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit, which means it should be found within us. Notice that none of the fruits of the Spirit are tangible gifts. They're not a house. They're not a person. They're not a college degree. They're not tangible. They're an outworking of us. They're an outworking of God in us and through us. Evidence of God working in and through us is within these fruits. See, many have used feelings to overwrite the filling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we go around and we get frustrated because, well, church didn't feel good today. I just didn't get anything out of that word because it was all about me and only for me. But that's what we do. We go around with these high expectations of what we want from something. We walk in and we expect it, and when it's not delivered, we're purely unhappy. And our joy just drifts away. Rather than, can I just tell you the greatest compliment, actually? The greatest compliment to me is when someone comes to me and just says, you radiate Jesus. That means that no matter what I'm going through, you're clearly still seeing Jesus, so hallelujah, that's good news. And Every Sunday, I'm going through something. Every day of the week when I meet with people, I'm going through something too. And I'm not saying I'm perfect at this. I've already explained that that's not the reality, right? But my hope is in God, and therefore my joy is in God, and that therefore my situation is God's, and therefore I don't have to sit in a place of unhappiness. I got to dig into my word. I got to have some self-control in my life over the sins in my life i got to exercise these fruits of the Holy Spirit that he's given us and say, okay, that one is not operating. That patience thing is not operating in my life. So what's missing? <laughs> what am I trying to do on my own? The third point is this. Joy desire, desires participation, 
not passivity. So as mentioned in the second point, accessing the joy of the Lord comes from actively following him. John 15, 10 through 11 says this, If you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Complete means complete, whole, wholeness of joy within us. But what does it ask us to do? It says to keep his commands, to remain in his love. So the problem is if you're not experiencing joy in your life, you might have exited his love a bit. You might have stopped remaining in him and obeying him ultimately. You might be living in a place of your life where God said, I want that back. That's not yours. I didn't say you could be there. I don't want you there. That's not good for you. That sin is not what you're supposed to be entangled in. I already broke that off on the cross, so there's no reason for you to be sitting in that place. But you might be in those places. So if you're not experiencing some of these fruits of the Holy Spirit, I would ask you, would you look at your life and go, God, what am I missing? The Bible says that I can reside in joy and that joy is complete in me. But clearly something's blocking the way. So, and let me tell you, it's normally us, okay? Normally it's us who's blocking the way to access all that God has for us and then through him. See, the danger is this, as J.M. Boyce says. It says. He says this. It is interesting that the characteristic mentioned by, first by Jesus is joy. Many of us would not naturally mention it, let alone put it first. We would point to love or holiness or true doctrine. But Jesus said, I am, the coming, I am coming to thee, the Father, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. John 17, 13. That most of us do not think of joy as a primary characteristic of the church probably indicates how little we regard it and how far we have moved from the spirit of the early church. The early church was a joyous assembly. And I guess my thing is, when I look at Paul and Silas, the reality was so many of them were sitting in a place that if you were saying Jesus was Savior, you were a cause to be reckoned with. People got beheaded. Martyrs were everywhere. It wasn't safe. But so many of us have just wanted this safe journey with Jesus. And he's calling us and saying, uh-uh, that's not the journey I have for you. Would you still follow me? If you knew you were going to experience complete joy, but that the journey was going to be hard, would you still follow? Rather than an easier journey with no fulfillment. And I don't know about you, but I'm on the other side. I want to experience complete joy in Jesus, and it's not an easy journey. I've been doing it since I was five. And I know it's not easy. And yet God still calls me to this place to trust that everything that happens in my life, he's going to use for his glory. See, as a church, we may have missed that joy is to be a primary characteristic of the body of Christ. It's why we stand outside and greet each other. It's why we hug each other. It's why we overlove you. It's why we talk and we clap and we praise Jesus. Because ultimately, it's supposed to be the primary characteristic of our lives. For the longest time at the well, and we still get this, everyone here is so friendly. That is an outworking of the joy of the Lord. And to me, I don't understand a church that you would walk into that isn't. 
because that is not an outworking of the joy of the Lord. Ultimately, it's not an outworking of the Spirit. And the church is supposed to be the most abundantly filled with joy. I picture this old song from Sunday school. Many of you may not know it. And I actually realized that in kids' ministry, we never teach these songs anymore. So I feel like we need to. But it's silver and gold have I none. Peter and John went to pray. They met a lame man on the way. He asked for alms and he held out, held out his palms. And this is what Peter did say. Silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, I give to thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He went walking and leaping and praising God, walking and leaping and praising God. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. See, the reality is that we can't give silver and gold. We can give eternity because of the hope of the cross. And that's the greatest gift. The happiness thing isn't going to work. The getting the degree and the job and the thing and the other thing and all the things isn't going to work. You're still going to experience in, unfulfillment because ultimately the only place to be filled is in Jesus. So I just want to pray over us real quickly that maybe today we would leave filled up with the joy of the Lord and that we would be complete in it. That it wouldn't be something that fades like happiness where literally 10 minutes from now you're disappointed. Your expectations might not have been fulfilled. But that we would be able to walk around in complete joy, radiating it, imbued with it, in such a way that people see it and go, my goodness, the storm you are going through is incredible, yet you're still here, you're still showing up, you're still smiling, you're still trusting your Savior. Who is this Savior? I need that Savior. I want to be that kind of church that when we leave this building, that we're that kind of church that just goes and infiltrates our spaces and places because ultimately we have the joy of the Lord who's our strength in the midst of our circumstance. And we can imbue that to others. We can encourage others in their faith because of it.